Welcome to the Spirit of Praise broadcast coming to you from Tabernacle of Praise Church International, York, South Carolina. I'm Bishop Alfred Jackson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in today. I pray that the message will bless you and impact your life in a powerful way. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the message. I don't know if you do. Sometimes I step back and I just look back over my life and have to ask God why. When I see some people that I knew, some people who came up with me are dead. I did some of the same things they did, but the Lord left me here. Some of the same kind of accidents they were in, but the Lord left me here. I say, why God? He has a purpose in it. And I have to say, I'm standing here only because you made a way. I'm standing in this pulpit this morning only because God made a way. Only. The doctors didn't think I would live eight months. And that's been that's been twelve years and four months. I'm standing here only because, only because you made a way. Hallelujah. All right, Matthew chapter nine. <clears throat> Bless the name of Jesus. Verse 36, 36, 37. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. 
Then Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they have. I want to talk to you this morning from the thought, doing your part to bring change in our community. Doing your part to bring change in our community. Subtopic, what do you have to share? What do you have to share? Father, thank you for this preaching moment. I pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit to communicate your word this morning to your people effectively and under your anointing. Give clarity of thought. Give clarity of mind and openness of mind to receive your word today. We thank you for the promise that when your word goes forth, it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish all that you desire. Thank you that you prosper your word and the things that you sent your word to. Have your way now. Be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say to the person sitting next to you, I must do my part to bring change in our community. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, if you've been joining us in our Bible studies on Wednesday nights, you know that this past Wednesday night, we start talking about black history. Yeah, and the history of the church in particular. Um, but we, we were talking about our community. And all of that has resonated in my mind as I'm preparing uh, this week to, to bring you uh, the message this morning and ask the Lord to show me what to say, to give me what to say uh, to the congregation, those who are gathered and those who are listening online. Our community is important, and we have to realize that. Um, yes, we live in America, but when you look at the African-American community, we still see great problems. Uh, in America, and it's, it's our responsibility to address these problems. So the Holy Spirit led me on a journey into the importance of fathers right, uh, in the home and in the lives of their children. Thank God for our mothers. I'm not discounting the role of mothers and what mothers play. We know that in our community, we've had strong black women. Uh, who have done amazing jobs in raising us. Um, many, many have raised their children alone. Uh, whether the father wanted to be present and couldn't be for whatever the reason, or whether he was just absent. And some men wanted to be present but couldn't. When you, when, you, when you examine situations and circumstances, yeah, you know, you have to be amicable to live with. Say amen, Walls. I'm not preaching about that today. I'm just saying what I'm saying. 
you know, you can't blame the man for everything. Sometimes you have to look at yourself. But uh, I, I was talking with a dear friend of mine uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, and we were just talking about life. And he said, you know, you have to examine the family of the person that you're going to marry. And now, those of you who sat with me in marit marital counseling, premarital counseling, you know that's one of the things that, that, that we talk about. Because I don't care how much you love somebody, when you marry that person, you marry the family. <laughs> I, don't care, I don't care how much you don't like the, but you see what you're doing is you're not recognizing that if, if that person is 35 years old, there are 35 years of their family influence in their lives. And young people don't, a lot of people just don't realize that because you fall head over heels in love. And I'm, I'm, this is precursor to the message, but I pray that it'll help somebody who is thinking about getting married. Those of you who are married, you're just there. Stay. Amen. Amen. It'll get better. Oh, yes, it will, but you got to change. But, but, you know, yeah, you got, you have the, you know, young, you fall head over heels in love and, and God forbid. I know people think that when I say this, I've only had one person to come to me and say, Bishop, what you told me was the truth. People fall head over heels in love and they get sexually involved before they say I do. And it influences their decision. It influences their decision. But you can't tell this generation that because you know, because of the sexual revolution and all that has gone on in America, you know, since the 70s and 80s, you know, you know, sex is just recreation. So, you know, you just do what you do and you might, you might be engaged with 15 different partners. You know, I thought about that one time and I said, well, you know, what's the difference between you and a prostitute? We don't think about stuff like that. You know, you're giving your body around. Let me go back to the message I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen. And we bring all of this stuff into a marriage, and we just think it's going to work out. Yeah, and it's just not going to work out. But men have a particular... Uh, men who marry the wrong women have a have a serious problem to deal with. Anyway. Yeah. So, on this journey, <laughs> I want to talk about fatherhood. <sighs> Come back next week. I won't talk about that. I promise you I won't say that. <laughs> on this journey, I begin to think about our community. Our community. The African-American community. Look around us. You know, what I've been seeing and I'm not the only person, and I'm not the next person in the field, it's not only is there a divide in America between black and white or Hispanic or what have you, but what we're beginning to see and what we're going to see more of is a divide in our own community. There's going to be a divide in our community between people who want their children to learn and send them to school to learn and expect something out of the education system and those parents who take no interest in their children learning. Because education doesn't start in the classroom. 
A desire to learn does not start in the classroom. A desire to learn starts at home. And if that desire to learn is not fueled at home, the teachers, and you have no respect for yourself and no respect for your children, no respect for your spouse, and one of the ways you show you, not, not you all, I'm not talking about y'all now. All right, I'm talking about somebody else. So one of the ways that people show their disrespect, the fact that they have no respect for themselves, is, you know, you, you bring all these men in your house. And now this person is uncle this, and that person is uncle that, you know, and after a while, you're done with that uncle, you got another uncle, and all of these men are coming in your house over your children, with your children. That's, a, that's disrespectful. And so, and then, then, anyway, so there's going to be a divide in our community among those people who want something for their children, who want more for their children, who are working hard for that. You see, you got to not only want, but you have to work to get more. You got to prepare yourself. You know, you can want a lot of money and decide that the system is working against you and go out and sell drugs. Or you can want more and you can study hard and you can go to college and get a decent job or learn to be an entrepreneur and start your own business. I mean, and work hard at it. Because, you know, we're not born with silver spoons in our mouths, so to have, we have to work for it. Anyway. So I, I began to think about it. I'm thinking about it. And I just didn't start this, you know, I'm... I'm thinking about this for years. I'm looking at situations and circumstances and, and, and thinking about our community. Uh, and although we're not monolithic, we're not all the same, all right, uh, we can say that being African-American in this nation has proven to be a challenge for many of us, especially men, especially men. As the larger society even moved into the women's liberation movement, Black women joined the band, joined the bandwagon, some not fully recognizing the fact of the advantage that they already had over their black male counterparts in this nation. History has shown that black women have been able to move farther, faster, and easier through the system than black men have. Well, this being Father's Day, I prayed that the Lord would give me a relevant message to bring to you today regarding God's agenda through his church, all right, as it relates to the dispossessed, as it relates to the downtrodden, as it relates to the abused and the disparaged in our, our community. So, so I searched for statistics, okay? Um, yeah, and, and I read several articles, let's see here. Um, I want to share this article I read about fathers and the importance of fathers in the lives of their children. Okay. I realize who wrote it. Okay. But truth is truth regardless of who wrote the truth. Okay. Uh, and if you want this article, I'll share it with you. Fathers are far more than second adults in the home. Involved fathers, especially biological fathers, bring positive benefits to their children. I kind of went to that biological fathers because if you are a good role model, if you're a stepdaddy or your grandfather and you are, you have a good solid person, you bring positive benefits to your children that no other person can bring. 
fathers provide protection and economic support and male role models. They have a parenting style that is significantly different from that of a mother, and that difference is important in healthy child development. Oh, that's so true. And everybody, everybody sees it. You know, that, that, that thing is true. We're just different. We, have, we bring a different perspective. Men bring a different perspective to raising children. We do. We don't just love on our children, and we, we don't run to protect them from everything, every little hurt or scrape. We're not picking them up and rubbing them off, you know. We're saying, okay, you got to be tough. You know, we might say, well, that's chauvinistic, but in this life, you got to be tough. And mama's not going to be there every time you scrape your knee. Mama's not going to be there every time somebody opposes you to fight for you. You got to learn how to stand on your own two feet, amen, and you got to learn how to defend yourself. <clears throat> one, of the one, one of the most vital aspects of a dad's contribution to the lives of his children uh, lies precisely in what is called significantly different parenting style. Men and women are different. You'll agree with that. As a result, mothers and fathers parent differently. Yeah, yeah. Dads, for instance, love their children more dangerously. <laughs> and that's, be that's because they play rough, rougher, and are more likely to encourage risk-taking. They provide kids with a broader diversity of social experiences. They also introduce them to a wider variety of methods of dealing with life. They tend to stress rules, justice, fairness, and duty um, and discipline. In this way, they teach their children the objectivity and consequences of right and wrong. They give their children insight into the world of men. To the world of men. Ladies, you can't give your children an insight into the world of men. Amen. You just can't. There are certain things you're just limited to do. You, so your children need that father in their lives. Um, I'm not going to read this whole study. You can read it, but uh, where, where's the evidence that, that these assertions, assertions uh, are for these assertions? Um, it's vast field of study, but we can offer a few examples of some of the relevant research. 82% of studies on father involvement and child being well uh, and child well-being published since 1980 found significant association between positive father involvement and offspring well-being. In an analysis of over 100 studies on parent-child relationships, it was found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness, well-being, and social and academic successes as having a loving and nurturing mother. Some studies even indicated father love was a stronger contributor to some important positive child well-being outcomes. According to a child psychologist, a father's more active play style and comparatively slower response to a toddler or infant experiencing frustration serve to promote problem-solving competencies 
and independence in the child. How many mothers are going to take their baby to the swimming pool and push him in the water? But guess what? Babies automatically start. Why don't many of our children know how to swim? We're so overprotective. Well, now, granted, we didn't, some of us didn't have access to this. Well, we don't have that problem now. When I was a child, we just went to the creek, and under the bridge, we dug out some of the sand, and, and we, we, did, we made our own swimming pool. There was a creek below our house, you know. My cousin dug out a place where the spring ran, the, the water from the spring. He dug him a swimming pool, you know, so he could learn to swim. So we didn't have, we, didn't, we were in the country. We didn't have, didn't have access to the swimming pool. And if we lived in the city back then, if, we, if they had a black pool, I'm sure it wasn't clean. I don't know. Just, just some stuff, some things that, that we have to think about. You know, we're, we're anyway. In a 26-year-long study, researchers found that the number one factor in developing empathy in children was father involvement. Fathers spending regular time alone with their children translated into children who became compassionate adults. That's just a little bit of that study that I read. Well, I'm trying to prepare to, to preach to y'all this morning and, and, and I ask the Lord, just lead me. Lead me to, to talk about some different types of things. Yeah. Father's Day. Father's involvement. Thank God for the men in our lives. Thank God for the fathers in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Young ladies, you have a, who are not married, you have a significant part to play in the man who chooses you and you choose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for some people, it's already done, so that's why I said it like that. But ladies, you have a significant role to play in making sure that the men in your life are honored and respected. And those who are not married, you have a significant role to play in making sure that you set the right example before your girls, your daughters, and your sons. Yeah, yeah. So um, I found another interesting, some other interesting information that I want to share with you. Because, you know, in America today, we talk a lot about the struggles of black people. You know, this, this you know... Uh, and we tend to go from what we hear on television rather than what we have researched. You know, so we, we talk about black men being killed and by the police, and we don't want to talk about the fact that, that there are studies that have shown that, that more white men are killed by police than black men are. Uh, we jumped on the Black Lives Matter platform real quick without really finding out who was pushing that agenda had nothing to do with black men. But when you look at really who pushed that agenda, it was more about a certain group getting on the playing field so that they would be recognized, not really pushing the Black Lives Matter agenda, because really all lives matter, you know. Uh, but we do have to fight for injustices in our country 
but we have to make sure that we don't jump on the wrong bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, and that when we want to get on the bandwagon, let's do some research. Let's do some research and let's, let's find out what the real agenda is. You know, I didn't understand when my neighbor came to me during, after uh, uh, George Floyd was killed and this, all of this uprising, all this stuff happening. Um, and he said, he said, you know, he said, Alfred, I, I love you. He said, I respect you. And then he went on in the conversation. He said, but I really can't support the Black Lives Matter agenda. And I didn't understand what he meant until I went and looked up the agenda. And I, then I understood what he meant. So if you don't understand, go and look up the agenda. All right. Then I don't understand how it is. So we, we, now we want to defund the police. But yet we want to be protected in our homes. Who are we going to call on? The military? So now we want a military state. And the military is not coming. So who are you going to call when somebody breaks into your house? Who are you going to call when somebody robs you on the street? So we, 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 we you know, and then if you're going to, if you're going to, if you know that there's going to be a problem, why resist arrest? Just give up. Just be arrested and then fight the battle later. That's just a whole lot of stuff. I know you just, some of y'all disagree with me. That's okay. We got we to gotta balance this out. Now, we talk about all of the problems, but, and I don't know. You know, I'm looking for information to give y'all to help us see a different perspective because I, I want to see always a different perspective. So, so I, I ran across this study. It's done in 2018. It's called Black Men Making It in America. Black men making it in America. All right. And, and so we, we have to be really careful to have the attitude, to have the perspective that because I'm black, I'm not going to make it in America. All right. Two pieces of particular good news were pointed out in this report that was done by Bradford Wilcox on CNN. First, the share of black men in poverty has fallen from 41% in 1960 to 18% today. Second, and more importantly, the share of black men in the middle class or upper class, as measured by their family income, has risen from 38% in 1960 to 57% today. In other words, about one in two black men in America have reached the middle class or higher. Some other information in there. I can't go through that. So what routes are black men taking to make it in America? Tracking black men from young adulthood through their 50s and using data from the National Longitudinal, 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 Anyway, that study, longitudinal, longitudinal survey of youth, 1979, identified three factors that are associated with their, with, uh, with their success. Black men, listen to this. Education, work, and marriage. Marriage. Something to be said about marriage today. It didn't say shacking up. It said marriage. So it's a different commitment when you're married. You know, it is. It's a totally different commitment. If you're not married, 
and you're living that with that guy, there's no commitment. Guess what? The attitude is, I can leave when I get ready because I'm not tied to this situation. Now, of course, you can get a divorce if you want to, but it's different when you're tied to it, marriage. Education, work, and marriage. What's happening to a lot of our kids and our boys? You know, we have to be careful if the school system labels them uh, uh, AD, attention deficit disorder. They might just be really smart. They just need to be guided in the right direction. So when you drop out of school, you're already missing the education piece. Black men who work full-time had some education, some college education, or were married, were much more likely to be members of the middle or upper class by the time they reached their 50s. Middle, upper class men, and you're making some, some fairly decent money, all right? May not be what you want, but especially you get to the upper class, you know, you've, you've moved up in figures. Now, now, we might say in church, oh, that doesn't matter, and I'm going to get to that in, in, in a way it doesn't matter, but for most people, you want to make money. Then tell the truth and shame the devil. You want to make money. You want to be doing well. So we, yeah, you want to be doing well. Yeah. Um, we found, for instance, that the odds that a black man make it to the middle class or, or upper class are at least three times higher for those who marry compared to their peers who never marry. Their financial well-being is, high, is higher partly because married black women contribute a higher share of the income to the household than other married women. Huh. Adding to their, achieve, their, their, their achieving middle class and higher, and higher status in the, is the U.S. military. We found that serving in the military was associated with a 72% increase in the odds that black men made it into the middle class or higher as 50-something men. So these studies were quite interesting. So even though they're quite interesting and promising and should give us a lot of hope, you see, you gotta, you, you, we have to really learn to have a broader world view. If we only look in our community, and let me say this too, we have to be careful about those in our community who see some of us doing well and talk about us because we're doing well. Continue to do well, all right? It's like, you know, children go to school and they're smart in school and then they're labeled you being like a white person. No, you're just being smart. Continue to be smart because it's your future that's, that, that's at stake. If you, if you got friends and they don't want to learn, you need to find some new friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. So even though this, this, this report was, was, was interesting, at least to me, and promising and should give us a lot of hope, the last part of the report is what I want to focus on today. This is it. Of course, the story our report tells is not all rose-colored. Black men are significantly less likely to make it into the middle class and upper class than their white 
and Asian American peers. The odds of black men in their 50s making it uh, to the middle class were about 60% lower for those who were charged with a crime as a young adult. Now, if you've ever dealt with people who've had records, you understand how difficult it is for them, to, if you're black, to get a job. You're not black, it's not people give you an opportunity. Yeah. Given that racial segregation, poverty, and bias affects the odds that young black males get caught up in the criminal justice system, systematic racism limits the economic fortunes of black men. What more? Right now, only a small minority of black men graduate from college, 17%. Schools and colleges need to do more to identify, recruit, and support young black men so that they are accepted, attend, and graduate from four-year colleges, colleges and universities in the U.S. I would add to that, families need to do more. Yeah, we often talk about what the school needs to do. And we forget about what the family needs to do. Right. You can't raise hoodlums and expect them to go to school and do well. If they're a hoodlum at home, they're going to be a hoodlum in the school. You can't let television raise your children. They can't watch all those crazy stuff on TV and then act right. Some of those television programs and some of those cartoons are just foolish and your children don't need to watch them. Some stuff on the internet your children do not need to be looking at. But guess what? In order for you to, to know what your children are watching, you have to monitor. You got to monitor. You got to know. Now, now y'all not raising hootlums. So I'm not talking about you all, but you know somebody who is. So go and tell them what I said. You can't raise hooligans and expect them to do well in school. Fathers, it's more to being a daddy than providing the sperm and having a good experience. It's much more to being a father. That's why God said that marriage is honorable and a bed is undefiled because when you are married, you are in the house with your wife and your children. So, anyway, there's some things you can do. There's some things in our community we could do to really stop so much uh, teenage pregnancy, single parent households. Young unmarried ladies and young unmarried men, listen, listen. When you get ready to have a baby, make sure that man puts a ring on your finger, provides you a place to stay. Man, when you, when you get ready to be a man and you want to be sexually active, then make sure you're taking the responsibility to being a father and a husband. Now, I know that that doesn't play well in, in today's society, but it plays well in God's society and economy. 
All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't change anything we've done, but we have to start doing some stuff to change some things in our community. Or our community is going to be farther and farther and farther behind. And that's going to be this great divide in our own community. Because we're, some of us are going to want our children and grandchildren to succeed, and we're going to be doing those things to help them succeed. And we're going to be watching those others who are not trying to do anything to help their children succeed. And we're going to say, I don't want my child, my grandchild, to have anything to do with them. It's going to cause divide in our families. Because some of our families don't, they're not doing anything to raise their children or their grandchildren. Some people in our very own families are just letting their children grow up like wild grass. They're not making a connection. They're not making a connection with, with what happens in the home and, and, and the nourishment and the nurturing uh, that you provide at home and the good role modeling that you provide at home with how their children turn out or their grandchildren turn out. And sometimes, because of mistakes we've made, we don't want to challenge our children to do better. But we got, to, we got to be able to say, yes, I made a mistake, but I don't want you to make the same mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, yeah. One of my contentions concerning those who made it uh, after the end of segregation, is that too many of us forgot about those who were left behind. Some of us started doing better, and we bought into the classist bias that exists in the larger society. We forgot about those who were struggling, those who were left behind. We moved on, and we did very little to help. You know, you've heard me talk a lot about I thank God for the older men in our community who took interest in us. Not just my father, but older men in the different churches in our community, our relatives. Some of them were not relatives. They just took interest in us as young people and especially with us as young boys. And they tried to do things to make life better. Well, you know, we got older and we started experiencing opportunities and we got busy and we didn't have time to do the same thing that the older men did. Now, how, how these men who were struggling, okay, we think about time, all right? These men who were struggling. My daddy would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, in the wintertime, he'd get up to make a fire because we didn't have central heat in there. He'd get up to make a fire so that the house would be warm when we got up and mama could start cooking breakfast and he went out and cut pulpwood all day long. He'd come home and then he would go to the field in the spring and plow a mule. He didn't have a tractor. Get behind a mule and a plow, and, and, and one field was at least two acres, and the other field had to be six acres. But then Daddy had time to take us to Bible study. Daddy had time to teach us to pray and to raise hymns and, and things that we don't do today, but that was a part of our spiritual formation. Daddy had time 
to get the other boys together in the community and have a baseball team in the community for the young boys. The same man who got up, went to work at 4 o'clock in the morning, well, not go, got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, went out and cut pup with all day long. He had to be tired. Daddy took me one time, and I went, I went, I went. You know, when you got old enough, you had to work, you know. So I guess I had gotten old enough. I didn't ask him. I think I went one day. I might have gone three, but I said, I came home, I said, Mama. I said, Mama, do I have to go back again? She said, no, baby, you don't have to go back anymore. I said, thank you, Jesus, because God didn't call me to cut Pope wood. That was, Daddy, was, they were, those men were loading that, that truck with their hands. They didn't have a loader. Later on, Daddy was able to buy a loader. But those men would cut those logs, and they were not little logs now. They were big logs that they would load, and somebody would get eventually when it got higher, they would get up on top, and they would somehow they knew how to flip that log, and the person up there would grab it, and I mean, then come home. Then come home and go in the field. Then come home, pick blackberries and peaches, pick beans and collard greens and potatoes and then take us to Bible study. Then take interest in other people's children. How we had time to do that and live to be 93 years old. So hard work didn't kill him. Since I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about these people that are suffering, Holy Spirit brought to my mind by those who are that, that latter part of the study, those, those, those uh, 17% are, are, what, that's 83% of black men that go to college, young men that don't graduate from high school, I mean from college, are those that are struggling, those who have economic depravity, those who are experiencing the effects of, of racism in our society. Holy Spirit says, what about those? What about those who are in prison, who have a prison record and, and are not likely to get a good job, if any at all? What about the boys who have been brought up in single-parent homes with no solid male figures to look up to or to receive the, the affection and instruction that only a solid father can give through modeled behavior and spoken instruction? And we think about boys who are raised in single-parent homes. What about girls who are raised in single-parent homes who don't know how to be a wife, who don't know how to relate properly to a man, or who are raised in single-parent homes who are taught that you got to have a man who has a certain amount of money to provide for you, and they overlook that good man who might right now be working at McDonald's but has the opportunity to do better. What about them? So the Holy Spirit brought me back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And, and, and what Jesus said, where it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then the Holy Spirit took me forward to Acts 4 and 32 where it says, all the believers were, with, were one in heart and in mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. When we read that, we think of sharing possessions. We think of money. We think of food. We think of things. We don't think of advice. We don't think of wisdom. We don't think of love, care, pouring into a person's life. What about those? What about those? Yeah. As we look out today and we see the multitude, do we shrug our shoulders or do we shake our heads and say, Lord, have mercy on them? Do we say, I don't know what's going to become of our people? Do we look to the government who helped create some of this mess that we're in today? Not necessarily this government, but the government has helped and expect them to step in and incarcerate more of our young people so we can have a safer society? Or do we, the body of Christ, in our neighborhoods, step up to the plate and share what we have with them? You study the life of Christ, you know that he was not a politician. Nor did he look to the government to do what he could do for himself. And this is what he modeled to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 9, as he looks out over the crowd and had compassion on them, he doesn't ask God to put the right people in political office, in government, so that the people can be taken care of. You don't read that anywhere. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send more laborers into his harvest field. Note some things here. Note that Jesus looked out over the crowd. Jesus sees them. Do we see the situation that our people are in today? Do we really see what's going on? He looks at the people. He sees them. He doesn't overlook them. In seeing them, he recognizes that these people and their situation is God's harvest field. This is important, saints. This is important. God's harvest field. When we look at the problems in our communities today. One of the things that we must do is we must see the people, but we must also recognize that this is God's harvest field. I'm talking to those of us, us good sanctified believers in Christ who love the Lord with our whole heart, soul, mind, and spirit. This is God's harvest field in 2023 and beyond. It's not the government's harvest field. It's God's harvest field. The issues that we're facing in our community with drugs, with teen pregnancy, with illiteracy, with low academic achievement, with the killings every day, somebody shooting somebody, killing somebody. Single parent homes, amen, whether they, some of them are not deliberate, some of them are not intentional. Single parent homes, Inadequate preparation in many of our children to compete in society, to be good role models, 
This is still God's harvest field. These people have been harassed. We may not call it harassment, but this is what it is. Our little children are being harassed in homes where people don't really care for them. Our little children are being harassed and oppressed in homes where people are not setting good role models for them. In homes where people are not giving them wise advice. You can't let your children make their own decisions about everything. You got to give them decision-making skills. If they don't have good decision-making skills, they can't make wise decisions. And as they're making wise decisions, you have to be there to help them in the process. Yeah. God has called us. God has anointed us. God has empowered us. God has sent us forth, saints, into the harvest field to do something about the situations that we see today and to reap a harvest. When we look at the church, we see believers in the first church who shared everything they had. We must ask ourselves the question, what do I have to share? What do I have to share? This harvest field does not need your money. They need your attention. They don't need your car. They need your godly advice. They don't need your jewelry. They need your counsel. They don't need your clothes. They need your time and your wisdom. They need you pouring into them what has been poured into you. See, a lot of us have made it, and we're doing well, but we've forgotten those who are still struggling. Or we may not have forgotten, but we're too busy. We're too busy climbing the ladder of success, and we don't have the time to go into God's harvest field. We don't have time. We're busy. We're putting back. We're laying up treasure on earth. We're spending all of our time on ourselves. We're very individualistic. Me, my, mine. We don't have time. Going into God's harvest field is going to take your time. It's going to take your attention. It's going to take your compassion. Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them. Compassion, when you have compassion, it moves you to do something. Jesus set the example. He looked out at the crowds. He saw them. What he saw moved them, moved him to compassion. And he tells his disciples, you might think this is simple, but this is critical. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest field because the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. There are some people that are in the, involved. There are few people that are involved in the harvest field. They're out there meeting needs. They're working. They're doing their very best, but they're so few. They're seeing the needs and trying to meet the needs. Pray that the Lord of the harvest 
who sent forth laborers into his harvest. Where are these harvest laborers going to come from? Where are they going to come from? You were asking God to send forth laborers. Where are they going to come from? They're going to come from those who have been harvested and discipled. This is kingdom work that we're engaged in. God is not only concerned about your economic situation or your economic condition. He's also concerned about your soul. So God is not only concerned about their economic condition. It's wonderful to be middle class and upper class, but that's not God's priority. We got to get that. It's wonderful to have money. That is not God's priority. God's priority is your salvation. God is concerned about their souls. I know if a person is hungry, we got to feed them first. Amen. As we share the love of Christ with them. But God's priority is the soul. So for us who are doing well, we got to get back to God's priority. Yeah. He wants us to do well. I thank God it takes money to do ministry. But I don't have to have all of the money. Y'all don't get bored on me. You know why I don't have to have all of the money? Because if God has somebody out there who has it, the Lord will supply. I had a need the other day. I always got needs on the mission field. And I sent, a, sent out the message to some pastor friends of mine that I know, associates. Because I wasn't going to ask everybody. Now, the Lord's just been leading me to do this lately. So one pastor wrote back, and he said, Bishop, I'm going to give one, one grand. So I don't have to have all of the money. I just need to know the God who has all of the money, unless people with the money. It might be you. It might be somebody else. Somebody walked up to me last Sunday. Put some money in my pocket for missions that I didn't even ask for. God, your economic success is not God's top priority. And so as we, as we succeed, we got to understand that this is the byproduct of our faithfulness and our hard work and God's strength. And so as we're looking into the harvest field and we're, we're seeing people in that economic depravity, yes, we have to address it, but God's top priority is their salvation. Their salvation. God is concerned about their soul. God is concerned about their eternity. You see, whether you're upper class, middle class, lower class, or no class, you are valuable to God. Christ died so that divine justice could be satisfied on your behalf. He died to reconcile you to God, to bring you into his kingdom. His first instruction to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, as he sends those 12 out, his first instruction was, go proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's his first instruction. Then he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. God is sending us into the harvest field. He wants you and me 
to do something about what we see. And he's given each of us something to share. You got something you can share. As we win people, as we disciple them for Christ and prepare them to win others and disciple others, we're going to be doing something. Because, you know, when we begin to disciple people, we're going to be, they're going to be looking at us. They're going to be watching what we model. They're going to be asking questions, not just about Jesus, but they're going to be getting advice from you about how you made it through your struggle. How you're making it in a, in a world that we have been told is totally against us. Now you have an opportunity. Not only to share the gospel, but to share your story. As we end this, the Lord reminded me of this. In the upper room, there were 120 people. Before the day ended, approximately 3,000 have been added to their number. On another occasion, 5,000 were added to their number. And it kept growing, and it kept growing, and it kept growing. It's growing today. Christianity is growing. lady asked me the other night, I went to this, this uh, Juneteenth celebration, sitting beside this, this little lady. She found out I had been to Africa, and she's asking me all these questions. And she said, well, what, excuse me, what religion do you find in Africa? She was sweet, so I was nice. I was going to be nice anyway. You know, you, could, you can give a cutting answer. You, you have to be careful. The, the devil will, will, is always working, and you want, we want to be careful with this tongue. Be careful with this tongue, because you could give a cutting answer. You know, it made no difference at that point that there are many countries on the continent of Africa. But I had the opportunity to share, yes, the Muslim faith is growing, but Christianity is spreading on the continent of Africa much faster than spreading in the United States of America because the church in Africa is engaged in evangelizing and winning people to Christ and sending people to the United States where we've stopped. They're coming and they're winning people to Jesus. It's growing. These people are not just saved to be church members, to sing in the choir, to serve Holy Communion. These people that came into the church, in the early church, they had means. So, so they were not just poor. Some of them had money. Some of them were wealthy. But all of them needed Christ. And when they were saved, they were saved to be harvest workers. We've got to get back to being harvest workers for God's kingdom. And every harvest worker has something to share. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing to advance God's kingdom? When you look out and see what's going on in your community, what are you doing to bring change in your community? We're saying the church is not relevant today. Hmm. 
But who is the church? Maybe the church is not relevant because you've gotten so caught up in the open movement of, of, of this world that you became irrelevant spiritually. What are you doing? You see, the word was made flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So if the church has become irrelevant, when the church moved into the neighborhood, when you moved into your neighborhood, did people behold God's glory full of grace and truth? Because that's what's, what attracts people to the Lord. We would, traditional churches tend to do fairly well, but traditional churches, some of them are dying. But when there's connections, family generational connections in traditional churches, people go to church because their families went there. We should come because Jesus is there. And we should inspire people to want to be a part of us because they see Christ in us. And in our neighborhoods, we're doing something to bring change. Don't live to yourself. Don't be selfish. Don't be only concerned about yourself. God has blessed you with something to share, to bring change in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood. Amen. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that when your word goes forth, it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes all that you desire. Thank you that you prosper your word in the things that you sent your word to. Thank you now. You've blessed us, Lord. Help us to bring our gifts and our abilities and the wisdom, the understanding that you've given to us. Help us to bring them to the table and use what you've given us to make significant change in our neighborhoods. We thank you now. We submit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. I pray that you have been inspired in some way in this, with this message. Amen. I wanted to holler this morning, but that was okay. It wasn't that kind of message. But we have to think. We have to think. We have to think about what we bring to the table. And all of us, every one of us, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm doing Duolingo. I'm learning Spanish. I'm doing real good. Sometimes when I'm sleepy, I don't do so good. And I get frustrated, and I want to end. I want to end the session because I don't want to lose my points. But then this thing pops up. Even when you make mistakes, you're learning. 
Even when you make mistakes, you're learning. We've made mistakes. None of us are perfect. But let's learn from our mistakes so we can make a change in our neighborhoods. Saints, we just can't we just can't keep going up. Those of us who are going up and doing well financially and our homes seem to be stable and we can't, we can't continue to forget people who are struggling. We can't. We can't. We can't forget our young black boys and our young black girls who are not doing well in school. If our children are doing well, we've got to reach back and we've got to help. We've got to, we've got to volunteer. We've got to give some time. We've got to give some energy, some efforts. We've got to stop thinking about what we don't have and look at what we do have and use what we do have to make a difference. That's the purpose of the church. And when we say church, I'm not just talking about the assembled church. I'm talking about the dispersed church in the community because all of us live in different communities and we could be making a difference in our community. Yes, it's challenging. The devil is going to fight us on every hand. The devil fought the church when you read the book of Acts, but the church prevailed. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Because it's difficult, because we might have some losses, because we might get hurt along the way, we don't stop. We don't stop. We keep pressing. We keep doing. We keep making a difference because every one of us has something to share. I pray that as we move forward in this congregation that we make significant inroads in our community. That's what the Lord has been saying to us over the years and especially throughout this year. We're going to make impacts in this community. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference in some young people's lives. So now, when we think about what we have to share, when we think about the words of the Lord in Matthew chapter, chapter 9 and chapter 10, as he looked out over the crowd, as he had compassion on them, Because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd, harassed, oppressed, hopeless, helpless. You know, I read about the hope in our community, but some people still felt hopeless and helpless. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest field. He said, we're going to do something about this. If you've heard the call of God, if you've heard the voice of God, if you first of all have not given your life to Jesus, and you will never give your life to Jesus until he calls you. He's going to call you. He's going to move on your heart. He's going to move in your mind. He's going to be telling you this is the right thing to do. He's going to be telling you, you need to yield your life to me. Holy Spirit is going to be drawing you to him. Whether it's your dreams, through visions, through experiences, he's going to be drawing. Will you respond? That's the question. He never forces himself on anyone. 
he responds. He draws. You must respond. So today, if you sense the Lord calling you to him, to give your life to him, will you respond? Whether you're in the sanctuary, whether you're watching us online, you can respond by praying this prayer along with me. I'll lead you in this prayer. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Save me today. I give my life to you. Lord, I surrender to your call. Take my life. Live in me. Use me for your glory. And Lord, thank you for saving me today. Amen. I pray that you've been blessed by the message. And if you have, write to us. Let us know how this message has impacted your life. Or if you've made a decision for Christ today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, write to us and let us know that as well and give us your information so that we can follow up with you. You may write to us at Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. That's Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. Give us your email address or a way to contact you so that we can follow up with you. Also, we would like for you to sow into this ministry. If you've been blessed by this work, by the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, and you would like to help further this cause, we're not just preaching here in the United States. We are preaching around the world. Through this podcast, our messages are being heard in many places around the world. We are actively working in eight countries in the world, on the ground in Liberia, Malawi, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, and Dominican Republic. So if you'd like to help us in this work, feel free to sow a seed to help further the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expanding of the kingdom of God. If you would like to give, go to topraise.org forward slash give. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Continue to pray with us and for us as we continue to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless you.